This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for what episode are we up to? One, two, three, seven. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And uh, what are we talking about today? <laughs> There's a pop quiz question. No, our title is We Can Be Zeros Just for One Day. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast title is Up the Creek, But I Bought a Poddle. There you go. So how are you doing, Megan? (laughs) Ask me tomorrow. Ask me next week. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, did you check out that um, Harry Potter game? No, I actually haven't yet, but it's on my radar and I thought I'd give it some good time. I'm going to download it, check it out. Um, and yes, might do a little review of it. I haven't heard as much buzz about it, so I'm not too sure exactly, you know, what it entails or how it's been received. So I'm going to have a little looky. Okay. Um, and yeah, I shall report back. I I do know it's by the same people who did the uh, Pokemon Go game. Yeah. So you would think it would be pretty polished because I think they did a few, quite a few good updates to Pokemon Go and so they sort of know what people want from something like that. Mm. So we'll see. I certainly hope they use all of the um, properties well and you know, make the most of what they've got at their disposal. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I'm always sceptical of these things before. <laughs> Enthusiastic. <laughs> okay, well um, I played uh, Mr Bowie there right at the top of the show. I want mm-hmm. to raise the mood a bit. Um, Before. <laughs> with, this is like um, Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon. I like to play before <laughs> Annihilation. No, uh, with Australia pretty much polarised right down the middle, politically speaking, whichever side the puny humans voted for, you can bet that both sides are looking around them now as if they're wearing the special sunglasses from John Carpenter's 1988 science fiction movie, They Live. Those are the ones that let you see the aliens walking amongst you. And you know what? You can also look at it above the line, if I can use a ballot paper term, or the tablecloth as we called it on the weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Half of the country more or less prioritises the same things that you do. So that's, I think that's just a little bit reassuring. Uh, Not enough from where I sit, (laughs) but still kind of cool. And speaking of where I sit, I personally, I'm always a futurist. Um, I was looking hopefully forwards to a change of government, bringing some meaningful top-down action on the climate change emergency, which in case you haven't noticed yet, is the once and future big issue. Twould that it was so simple. Uh, Some of us will have gone through a dark night of the soul as a result of the negative result of the federal election yesterday. Uh, I I feel a bit like Mel Reynolds in Firefly after a spectacularly unsuccessful adventure left sitting alone and buck naked on a rock out in the desert. Yep, that went well. Still, you get knocked down, you get back up again, and me being me, you know that I did not get that from a song lyric. Sometimes you do have to take a moment to collect yourself and rally. Depends on how hard the hit, when it struck you and from what angle. That's okay. Whatever it takes. Grit your teeth, run a systems diagnostic on your armour, check your life support seals and tighten your buckles. 
and getting on with today. Everything I learned from si- I learnt, I have gotten from science fiction and fantasy. You may have noticed that over the years. Today, it's comic books. Here's some advice from my favourite armoured futurist and his shield-slinging sidekick. <laughs> I should, shouldn't say that, but I did. It's done. Tony Stark said, It's not enough to be against something. You have to be for something better. Steve Rogers, by way of um, Joe Michael Straczynski. And you know, Captain Rogers is very good at this sort of thing. The requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. Robert Downey Jr. mentioned that you need to know what to do when the sun is not shining. And looking out at Melbourne weather today, well, yeah. Steve Rogers also said, you get killed, walk it off. Mr Stark has the final word, as usual. Come on, let's do something insane like save the world. You've got to stand up again. Carol Danvers did it in the Captain Marvel movie. Gaslighted to hell and back by her trusted mentor. You know that bit in the story where there's a montage of her climbing determinedly back to her feet and the look upon her face is priceless. So I think we'll give you a track here with that stirring music from the Captain Marvel movie, I'm All Fired Up, and it's by Pina Toprak. I am Jim Michael Stritsky, creator of Babylon 5, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Who are you, and what do you want? Yeah. Dude, don't call us plucky. We don't know what it means. <laughs> Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are back with Zero G after getting all fired up with Pinar Toprak's track from Captain Marvel. Yeah. Well, um, it's a bit gloomy just before there, but um, hey, the <laughs> Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones finale is on us. Actually, the Game of Tones. As in Tony Abbott is over. Is over. <laughs> Has been decided. But yes, it is, of course, uh, Game of Thrones Day, the very last episode of the series uh, Forever, or so they say, um, is airing probably, I think it's Sunday night in the US, so probably like, it's probably available-ish now. I haven't checked. But anyway, today is the day you'll be able to watch it. And so I know a lot of people have been waiting with bated breath. Um, I won't go too much into my feelings on the last season because I know, Rob, you're uh, still in season one territory. Look, I actually don't care, so you could, but don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't anyway. I feel like there's maybe some people who haven't had a chance or want to binge the whole thing once it's all out. You know, I just wouldn't do that. With geek um, power comes geek responsibility. Exactly. I do think that, you know, um, there's been a lot of anti sort of season eight sentiment that's risen to the top. And I think regardless, I feel grateful that I've been able to be a part of something that really was a worldwide phenomenon and I think was one of the few shows left where people would hang on week by week and watch it together and stay at the same point of the story as kind of a group, if that makes sense. Because I think in sort of our now Netflix binge culture and whatnot – it's very few shows left where everybody is up to the same place and it becomes that kind of zeitgeisty discussion point, water cooler conversation. Um, and I also think as a fantasy epic, it managed to draw a lot of mainstream interest. So I think regardless of how you feel now, as the end is nigh, um, I've certainly enjoyed the ride. I think 
um, just because you don't like where a story goes doesn't mean it's been uh, it's a bad story point. Maybe it's been done poorly or too rushed, but I think don't you know that's kind of my attitude towards it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they wrap things up. I am preparing to be dissatisfied, <laughs> and that's how I'm going in, and that's fine. Um, but I certainly do think it is time for the end of the Game of Thrones, and I am interested to see how they wrap things up. Um, and also because the George R. R. Martin has not wrapped things up in book form, so it's in a very interesting Yeah, that puzzles place. me. How can they bring it to a conclusion if the, if the books aren't finished? Well, apparently they are following his uh, kind of story, story arc, mm. um, and I think maybe that's part of the problem is that the way they've fleshed it out is perhaps not how he would have done it or people feel the writing quality is not as good when it's not – it doesn't have such a firm skeleton to follow – um, but I think it's probably still in line with where he would want the story to go. I don't think they're going to put someone on the Iron Throne who he does not agree with. I still think it's very interesting, though. There's very few franchises where that's the case. I can't even think of any mm. where it's it's in that kind of where, narrative form. Obviously, there's a lot of properties where people go off on their own, well, uh, diverge from canon and whatnot. You can but, kind of look at some stuff that's written... You know, like um, 2001 A Space Odyssey was being written in concurrent with the novel at the same time mm. and backwards and forwards and all sorts of things. So Collaborations and so yeah, forth. Yeah, but this is different, isn't it? This is. Yeah, I'd wonder what the balance of power there was and, and exactly how much agency sort of those showrunners had. Game of making of Game of Thrones. They, look, they are <laughs> releasing a doco. So I think it's called The Last Night or The Something like that. Yeah. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. They are releasing that doco after the series wraps. Mm -hmm. So keep your eye out for that. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to be satisfied, but I think that's just kind of the downfall of something that becomes too popular for its own good. You can never never satisfy everybody who's invested. Look, I mean, after watching just one first season of it, and that's the first one, um, oh, you're in for such a... I, if you ever go down, that, ever road, go down that road, you're in for a lot. <laughs> the Last Watch is the name of that documentary. Okay. The trailer's out and I'm, that'll be released um, a couple of hours after. No? It'll be released after the last episode anyway. I do note that it seems to be the kind of show where a hung parliament is literally possible. Yeah, or like everybody's dead so no one sits on the Iron Throne. Who knows? Uh, Speaking of firm skeletons, I'm having difficulty putting aside my whimsical notion that it's the zombies that deserve to sit their bony asses on the Iron Throne. I guess they'd have to have, like, comfy cushions or something. But, but, you know, just to show that the humans, their inability to work together. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's half, it's politics, it's fantasy, it's weird supernatural stuff. But, I mean, I was watching that awful, dreadful, hideous movie Starship Troopers back in the day and thinking that, um, you know, I'm actually on the bug side. <laughs> <laughs> Things that don't surprise me. I'm definitely filing that away. But, yeah, so for everyone who is tuning in tonight, um, I hope you enjoy the last episode. And if not, I look forward to discussing it <laughs> at a later time. Does that mean winter, winter will be over? It'll come and gone and it'll be over. Spring I'm not sure. Again. I think that the directive now is that winter has come. Yeah. But I'm not sure if it's still going or whether, you know, yeah. summer is here. Enough about that. Let's move on. Actually, no, yeah, yes. Uh, one final point. All these fantasy worlds that are like Earth but they're mm. not 
Um, I sometimes wonder whether they're like multiverses, like multiversal worlds. They're like, yeah. you know, part of one big Marvel sort of <laughs> cinematic universe sort of thing. <laughs> so like Game of Thrones can coexist with um, The Good Place. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> actually, I, I know it seems like we're actually woke up in the bad place today, um, but nevertheless. <laughs> so I'm just wondering um, where can we go from uh, there into something more... Positive, and um, I've just read that Canberra is going to be effectively powered by renewable energy from October the 1st. Oh. The first Australian jurisdiction jurisdiction to do so, according to their climate change minister. They actually have a climate change minister. Very progressive how, down there, how, up there. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's like... I know. Like this separate government at the seat of federal government. Yeah. And... They seem to be better. It's, I mean, you can't compare the ACT to other states. No. Because it's a very, very particular demographic that lives there. As a Canberra, I'm allowed to say that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I should choose my next words carefully. <laughs> I've heard it all, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, do tell. <laughs> but no, this is, um, I think this is a, a great idea uh, if... And it is an example of a state government can achieve stuff where the federal government has no idea, mm. is totally clueless, and denies it's there's even a problem. Isn't it? yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, it's that said, it's very nice to wake up this morning being in Victoria. Yes, you know. So anyway, uh, we will move on to. I think I'll play a track right here, and this sort of um, lifts into our next little segment on today's show. Um, it's a country and western version, well actually I suppose that's the original isn't it, of I'm a Survivor. It's by a lady called Reba McIntyre who's quite um, well known in that scene uh, and um, yeah so I'm just going to play this. It's a, it's a bit of a cliche but there's a reason why I'm playing this although reason often has nothing to do with Zero G's mu- musical choices. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. Yeah, and we had uh, Reba McIntyre there with... Her version of I'm, I'm a Survivor. And I played that because um, she was one of the initial stars of the franchise I'm going to talk about next, which is Tremors. T-R-E-M-O-R-S. So, yeah, it's American. <laughs> so um, the reason why I wanted to just chat about this is um, I saw Cold Day in Hell, Tremors number six, I think, mm-hmm. um, the other day, movie franchise. Yes, number six. Number six. And it began back in 1990. Um, so yeah. it's a bit of a success story in its own way, uh, with a movie directed and co-written by Ron Underwood with Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson writing the thing as well. And it was produced by Gail Ann Hurd back at the, in the day. And that was... Um, she was actually a great producer of uh, science fiction movies, including um, Aliens and... Um, Alien. Uh, sorry, what am I talking about? Um, Aliens, yes, and Terminator. 
uh, and as well as um, I think the Lost Boys as well. Oh, cool! Uh, might have even directed that one. Oh, it's all fuzzing out in the mists of time. Anyway. To give you the rundown on the Tremors series, lurking beneath the isolated desert town of Perfection, Nevada, are giant burrowing monsters, nicknamed Graboids. They manage to chew through a good part of the small population of the town trapped there, with some exceptions, including Kevin Bacon and Michael Gross. No, Kevin Bacon. (laughs) the, The premise thoroughly explored, and this is where the procedural shines through, is the one that uh, writers Wilson and Maddock came up with when creating training videos for the US Navy. (laughs) I'm not quite sure why they were standing on a big rock in the desert doing training videos for the Navy, but they were. And they wondered what would happen if there was something that prevented them from getting off the rock. They embellished this later with the idea that there might be beasties that were literally land sharks as opposed to just the metaphorical ones you find in the real estate bizzo. They took the idea to Ron Underwood, a friend who made National Geographic docos, and further developed the concept with his zoological experience. So, essentially, it's The Shallows (laughs) and every other sea beastie movie on land, and Tremors successfully tapped into the audience's sense of wonder as it asked them the question, what would you do in this sitch? And that was really half the fun of the movie. And that that first film was one of those B-grade science fiction horror movie concepts that cheerfully managed to worm its way into the A-grade with its solid procedural elements and an engaging cast that convincingly sold the unlikely story and looked like they had heaps of fun doing so. And that's pretty important, really. Uh, One of the wackiest characters from T1 was Bert Gummer, an obsessed survivalist and conspiracy obsessive who lived off the grid, along with his slightly less but not by much wife and also a whole bunker full of guns burke ended up sticking with the series all the way through with the other part of the ongoing joke being that he was played by actor michael gross who also played the gentle older hippie in the iconic sitcom family tires ah. Ah. now his wife was heather gum was played by reba mcintyre the country and western singer we just played she never showed up again actually um thereafter in the series uh, the film cost $11 million American to make and it made $17 million at the box office and it went on to become a further hit on the home video DVD market. And since then, you can't beat the Tremors idea to death with a shovel. I'm telling you, it is, it is resilient. <laughs> there have been six films in all, mm. taking the Graboids from beneath perfection adding in new comically lethal stages in their life cycle. I think there's a a flying one called an ass blaster. (laughs) It's like sort of um, internally combustible, (laughs) self-propelled. They move them around the globe from South Africa to the Arctic Circle. Um, Not all of the movies have been as diligently made as the first, but some Mm. have been surprisingly entertaining. For me, it's kind of like a guilty pleasure to watch them. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's not presenting itself as something it's not either. Like a really dumb series called Critters back in the day. That was I remember that pretty series. Dumb too, but yeah. it was fun. A standout in the series is Tremors number four, The Legend Begins, which dialed things back to 1889 for a bit of steampunkish weird western. <laughs> that Their take on things came complete with ancestors of several of the contemporary characters, including, of course, Bert Gummer. So Michael Gross played his great-great-great-grandfather. <laughs> Uh, there's a television series that span off from the franchise in 2003, r- ran for one short-lived 13-episode season, which again featured Gross, but also introduced Christopher Lloyd playing <laughs> da, 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 a sketchy scientist. Oh, gosh. 
<laughs> How unusual. Mm. And Breaking Bad's Dean Morris also has shown up in the franchise, cool. which has actually been running enough now that uh, some actors have passed away, including a genre favourites Richard Biggs from Babylon 5 and Bibi Besh from Star Trek The Voyage Home and a host of other films too. Uh, other actors have dipped in and out of the sands surrounding perfection, including Fred Ward, who played a male lead in the original alongside Kevin Bacon. Now, Fred Ward actually played um, Remo Williams in the uh, Destroyer movie, which you may not remember, but um, it was pretty much a, f- a commercial failure and we never heard from it again. But that was based upon a very popular series and long-running series of, um, of pulp, sort of pot-boiling uh, martial arts action books. Uh, yep. If that had managed to catch on, it would be like, you know, can, still going forever. <laughs> Um, there was a future television series in the works around 2015 which uh, had Kevin Bacon slated to appear in it, but mm-hmm. the pilot hasn't been picked up, so, you know. And there are some tie-in video games, including a really basic online browser one that I used to play called Dirt Dragons, where you just basically just shot the the graboids as they appeared with different weapons that you had to reload. And you couldn't win, you know those games? Yeah. You cannot win. Yeah. yeah. That's how they get you. That's how they get I'm you. surprised they didn't rope you into a microtransaction. <laughs> they didn't have it then. This is really, really yeah. basic. You know, just just um, go to the site and play. I don't think it's up anymore. Uh, anyway, the uh, the sixth movie, A Cold Day in Hell, emerged from its straight-to-DVD tunnel last year. It's directed by Don Michael Paul, uh, who's... Um, an actor as well as a director and writer. And he's done a few um, other films like Half Past Dead in 2002 and one of those um, sci-fi channel ones, Lake Placid. Oh, yeah. The final chapter, you know, when they get down to that, like yep. Anaconda's 1700. Oh, God. Or Sharknado. But actually the Sharknado movies are fun, you know. And they kick on. I, I, yeah, I think they yeah. kick on. Uh, and they're usually full of terrible CGI. But he also had roles in um, Robot Wars as well, so... The screenplay is by uh, John Welpley. Um, now, Michael Gross stars as Burt Gummer once again. Um, he's gone from being the lone survivalist to something of a franchise of himself, which is part of the joke. He's got, like, survivalist DVDs and videos back when there were videos and mm. uh, his own line of Burt Gummer survival Kits, yeah, you know, and he's running all these out of Chang's Market, which is uh, a feature of um, perfection. And he's on the skids now. You can tell that that's come and gone because everybody knows about the graboids now. And you know, although he's the famous graboid hunter, it's not so. Yeah, you know, the, the gloss has gone off it. Uh, showing up is Jamie Kennedy playing Travis B. Welker, who's Bert's son. You know, they've got these funny little sort of family things that pop in and out. He was actually in the last one. Uh, I've seen him before in um, uh, that um, Steve Martin movie, Bowfinger. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I actually really like. That's one of my favourite little sort of... And I call it a science fiction movie because it's about filming a bogus science fiction film. Uh, and um, we've also got Tanya Van Graan playing a doctor who's... Um, a bio, an expert on graboid biology and also she's a, a lead researcher at the Arctic Research Facility where A Cold Day in Hell, there's the title, uh, appears. So I've seen her before. She was in Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, um, opposite the lady who played um, T'Pol in Star Trek Enterprise, Jolene Blaylock, and also Casper Van Dien, who seems to be like immortal. Yeah. He, he's everywhere. <laughs> But she was also in Lost Boys, The Thirsts, 
in uh, 2010, which is another good little series that span off into a few movies as well. Um, okay, so all of these characters come together in this isolated research <gasps> base in the Arctic. Amazing. And here's the thing. The, the previous movie, um, Tremor's uh, Bloodlines, I think, was filmed in South Africa. So was this one, even though it's supposed to be in the Arctic. And they've explained the... Um, uh, the 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 environment by by saying that it's global warming, so they've got all these people running around <laughs> in coats and stuff and right. as a base, and, but yet it's it's actually not as badly done as I thought it would be. I thought maybe the um, the series had run into its high water low water mark, you know, like they do. Yeah, but um, if you catch up with it on DVD, or I think it might actually be on um, one of the streaming services too. I think it might be on Netflix or Stan. Let's have a look. Yeah, but anyway, um, that said, it's for, for a series that's so far down the track, and believe it or not, there's an extra one planned, so they're going for another movie in spite of them not getting, being able to get a television series up and running. Oh, and that television series I mentioned, which is probably also on some streaming services somewhere, is um, is quite fun. There's a lot of Burt Gummer stuff in it. And I just it's just like one of those Thomas the Tank Engine things that just keeps running. Um no I like it. I like it more than the Underworld one, which plugs on against all odds. And yeah, the quality definitely goes. It doesn't look like you can stream any of the Tremors anywhere. Oh, okay. But they're obviously available to rent and buy on yeah, your yeah. Apple Store, Google Store, and so forth. Mm, okay. I will warn you. There's some nudity in this one. Let's be honest. It's Bert Gummer's bum, <laughs> and one scene. You know. So I you know, really just. <laughs> It's to do with, you know, hospital gout. What is it with hospital gout? Yeah. I do understand the sanitary idea, but, oh, my God, let's just not not do this to us anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He's a brave actor. Yeah. It wasn't actually the Arctic, so it wasn't cold. Still. (laughs) Still. (laughs) All right. Now, um, so, yeah, that's the the Tremors franchise. Still running since 1990. Good on him. Right, let's uh, have a track here by another one of the cast of Tremors, A Cold Day in Hell. Oh, how prolific. Yes, Tanya Van Gran, who's quite well known for warbling in South Africa. I'm afraid I have absolutely no idea what this song is about. It could be about anything. (laughs) My research sort of dribbled away. So if you're going to be deeply offended by whatever the hell this track is about, then just let me know because I'd like to know what it's about too. It's called Sukel Sukel and it's by Tanya Van Gran from her newer season album. This is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Yeah, and we had uh, Sukel Sukel was the name of the track by Tanya Van Gran from her newer season. We, we, you looked up what it meant, didn't you? And, uh, yes, it's Struggle Struggle. Uh, Sukel means that in Afrikaans. So, but I don't, I can't tell you any more than that. So, no, and it no. sounded like a very jaunty struggle, if anything. Mm, indeed. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Now we've been taking actually because we just mentioned um, a bit of climate change, jiggery pokery in terms of um, indeed tremors. Uh, I've got a, a big book here, and I love these big books that you can do this with. They make a big thump on the desk. Kim Stanley Robinson, one of the finest science fiction writers in the world. He's got a book called New York 2140. And this is uh, one that took me a while to catch up with. Uh, but once I did start reading it, I just romped through it, basically. It's 
uh, a fine book. Now, it um, came out in uh, the paperback itself came out this year, so not that too far away. The hardcover and ebook was out last year, so or the year before actually. But this one here is set in the year 2140 in New York, so what you see is what you get. Uh, it's a New York that is heavily climate changed. Mm. Essentially, the water has risen. Now, Kim's taken a, a an extreme approach to the sea level rise, but you know what? Well, the more we hear about stuff about um, glaciers being undermined by water that's thawed out, flowing underneath the glaciers and lubricating their journey to the sea, which oh, we God. didn't know about until recently. The more you hear about that, the, the more you wonder if the, the extremes are going to be extreme enough in the predictions. So, you know, like the sea level's risen quite a bit in New York, mm-hmm. so much that um, parts of it are completely underwater. Other parts have become more like Venice. So wow, the okay. streets have become canals. And it's New York. They're not going to abandon it without a fight. And so they have fought. They have done all sorts of um, incredible engineering feats to uh, protect the individual skyscrapers in places mm. uh, and... You know, like basically like walling them off. Uh, in some places they've like waterproofed the, the lower floors. Yeah, uh, right. In others the lower floors have become docks so you can put your boats into them. And, of course, uh, aquatic transportation has become key in this city that now yep. is actually striding out into the ocean. Um, Kim has got so many different themes running in his books. Uh, usually there's a, a big theme of ecological sustainability and yes it is a disaster that this has happened to new york and it's happened twice like the water's risen twice yeah there's been two peaks um and it's not gone away so it's it's always going to be high but it does have high and low tides if that makes sense within that yeah and it's also subject to storm surges and that still even more a lot of the money has moved out of new york Mm. gone to denver so the rich people have it would have its day yeah they've gone up to up to South Park. <laughs> yeah, right. Interesting. Uh, basically... That's the mountains, right? Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, in Colorado. So, you know, it's, it's where they need to be higher. Mm. So some of the capital shifted up there. This brings us to Kim's second uh, important element in many of his stories. So he's usually about ecological sustainability and the arguments about that. Yeah. Uh, and the dichotomy between development and the need to conserve things and to me that's a word that should be taken back from other people conservative Mm. to actually conserve something real you know but anyway um it's also about social justice and financial systems okay so these two things collide head on because there's a, a sort of a wet financial system to do with buildings which have been abandoned but are being mm. squatted in, but they're sort of in the water. Yeah, you know? right. So there's a, a whole complicated um, intertidal zone. And I think he's been very good there. Um, he's used the word littoral, which I love to hear. Um, but, you know, I, I sound like Radio Marinara here. The idea that there is a, a very complicated tidal zone in this city mm. where all sorts of economical economic activities go on and social activities as well yeah and so he he illustrates this with his characters by having some scientists some street kids who've grown up in 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 the flooded streets yeah um and who are consequently almost like part sea otter you know in the way that they approach things kind of cool some dastardly corporate interests interests that are there yeah uh 
and there's still big money in the real estate, whether or not it's submerged. I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. Uh, and, of course, um, a whole bunch of other characters, because this is a very large book at, uh, what have we got, uh, 600, you know, the usual sort of things where they're like 600 pages, and then there's like 400 pages at the back of the next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 611, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it's out from um, Orbit Books, and it's called New York 2140. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, it talks about... I don't want to say that we. Sh- I don't want to say that he's um, implying that there's no hope, <clears throat> because this does show a way forward. Mm. And yeah, it uses that word that's got loaded connotations about um, sort of uh, coping with climate change. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, let's um, let's make sure the impact is mitigated, is dealt with. Uh, and how do people at, the, at different levels of society do that? Mm. You know, everybody from the very rich who are living in these high penthouses in that typical sky city sort of yeah. thing to the people who are actually in the water all the time. Uh, I, I really love this book. It's a, it's a great read. And it has this really great solution to capitalism okay. <laughs> that also uses it as well. And I thought... It was worth reading this book just for that. <laughs> if you've got um, anything like a, a heart that yearns for some real social justice in the world, this book is for you. Okay. And it's also about a workable utopia mm. in some respects, although a flooded New York doesn't quite sound like that. It is. So this is what science fiction does so very well and Kim Stanley Robinson amongst those people that do it so well. It holds a mirror up to the world. It gives us a look into into a future that's very possible. And, yeah, it, it follows in, in, the, in the footsteps of his Free California's trilogy, the Mars trilogy where they're terraforming Mars, uh, the Science in the Capital series that's set in Washington. You know, there's just... Uh, and, of course, his Antarctica book as well. Um, I think... This is a book that uh, stands the test of time, and I don't have to. I can say that without any chance of being called on it because it's twenty one forty. You know his speculative fiction approach to that. Well, it, it reads very convincingly to me. Interesting. Mm. So highly recommended. It's a it's a real um, page turner for me anyway. Twenty one forty, New York. It's Kim Stanley Robinson. This is the Orbit paperback version of it. All right, so let us segue to a track um, at the end of the show. Uh, actually, no, I'm not going to play that quite yet. We've still got a little bit of, um, of time in with Zero G yet before Joe Brunetic comes up next with Astral Glamour. And so um, not exactly riffing on things that we've seen, but uh, and my trouble is at the moment I haven't been to see anything but Avengers Endgame at the cinema. How many times have you seen it? Um, only two, but that takes like six hours. Yes, that's a decent chunk of time. And I feel like I know it back to front now, mm. which is probably wrong. Well, I think I definitely got a lot out of it on the second watch. I feel like you'd get more on a third watch, mm. poss- possibly. And I think as well, if you... There's some of the older Marvel films that I hadn't rewatched before, so I might watch some of the ones that I want to rewatch, mm-hmm. and then I'll visit Endgame again. I was going to say when it's out of theatres, but they're going to keep that baby chugging in theatres for as long as possible and well, get Captain all that Marvel's sweet revenue. Well, still playing. Yeah, which, I mean, which is great. Like, we saw a long run from Black Panther. Yeah. Um, Are we in an era yeah. now where there's always going to be an MCU movie playing? 
Probably. Yeah. I um I went and saw this is not genre, but I went and saw this movie called Long Shot, which is just a romantic movie. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. It's you know. Uh it is what it is. But they had some good Marvel and Game of Thrones refs in there, which I thought was a bit of fun. Oh, if you want to know what the uh, the box office mojo is for Avengers Endgame at the moment, in US dollars... Oh, yes. What are well, we sitting at? $2.614 billion. <laughs> Some of that's mine. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> they're, they're, they're still um, shooting for uh, the Avatar record. What's that one again? That's $3 billion, I think, roughly. Mm. It's only a few million. Mm. I'm sure there's a billionaire out there who could kick in some money. No. Put it into something else. I'm yes. not going to say it's not worthy because Avengers are all about being worthy. But, you know, and speaking of Avengers, uh, my favourite one, um, Tony Stark, Iron Man, uh, there was an entry in Eurovision from Azerbaijan. Oh, yes. Which was so Iron Man. It was so there. Um, he had a, a, an arc reactor on his chest. There was wow. an arc reactor behind him. Okay. Uh, he did a three-point landing on the stage at one point. Um <laughs> He uh, had see. the beard and the moustache going. I see. I, yeah, I've just looked him up. Yeah. What was his name? His name was Chingers. Oh, yes, yes. Is that Chingers. right? Chingers, yes. Yeah, rings a bell, yeah. And um, the only thing is that Tony Stark would have done it better. <laughs> you say that about everything. With more razzmatazz, more, more, more everything, really. There'd be ironettes on the stage. There'd be, there'd be uh, more armour, all that kind of thing. But, you know. And Robert Downey Jr. would actually sing the song himself. He'd, like, spring out from behind the... <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be all there. He'd fly in. It'd be so good. Anyway, but and, and I'm pleased to see that the Zero Gravity song did quite quite yes, well, too. That's good. Mm. I'm not a, a Eurovision follower. I don't think I've ever watched it, ever. Um, I have. I'm not really... I'm absolutely uninterested in the contest side of it, uh, but I do like the wackiness of some of the costumes, and there's quite often... Yeah. A genre-heavy element in some of them. I like the theatrics, and I think you're right. Often they lean on some good sort of visual tropes to kind of get the flamboyance up, mm. and a lot of that is usually a bit of a genre nod. So, And Madonna had a... I haven't watched it, but I do watch a the kind news. of a Nick Fury um, eye patch thing running, which mm. she's done before in some of her recent work, but she was calling herself Madam X. Oh, yeah, that's a thing she does. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Good honour, though. I kind of I don't know if I, I wasn't too impressed with the way says he who can't carry a tune to save his life unless it's a cartoon <laughs> instead but um I don't think those live venues do quite so well acoustically for television performances sometimes yeah yeah I've noticed that about Eurovision it looks like yeah someone's filmed a Rocker Stedford kind of yeah am I being generous <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> again I, I, I should I, I'm not fit to carry her makeup case no <laughs> anyway um, alright so next week we will probably have a look at that um, new um, James Gunn produced movie mm, Bright uh, Burn Bright Burn with bad superheroes oh and you looked up a um uh, another western that was to do with burrowing creatures. I have actually seen it. Yes, so The Burrowers, and that came out, I think, 2018? No, 2008. Mm. My apologies. Um, yeah, written and directed by J.T. Petty. Did it have... You got a cast list there? Did it have Clancy Brown I in it? I do indeed. So uh, it starred William Mapotha. Yeah. Never heard of him. Sean Patrick Thomas. Yep. Do remember him from Save the Last Dance. Doug Hutchison, Carl Geary, Laura Layton... A few names I know. No, no Clancy them. Brown? Mm, Clancy Brown, yes. Ah, yes. Oh, my God, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And Ro- Robert 
Ricard. Richard. Yes. All right. So that's another one that's um, actually a bit more uh, um, gory than the, the Tremors movies. Although there's an awful lot of graboid slime in um, Tremors Cold Day in Hell, I can tell you. Did you like that one? The Burrowers? The Burrowers. Yeah. yeah I think it could have been pushed a, a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly no... Um, no bone tomahawk, which is the benchmark for weird Western nastiness. It's like a Western horror vibe, right? Yeah, but it's it's got things, some got some moves, definitely. Okay. All right. Well, that's about cool. it for Zero G today, and we're going to go out with Tripod, with their climate change song from their Men of Substance album. Lovely. <laughs> and coming up next will be Joe Brunetic with. Astral Glamour after our final track, which I'm just about to queue up, just about to queue up now as he fumbles with the buttons. The problem is I never take these infinity gauntlets off. <laughs> <laughs> just Ooh, don't I almost, close your fist. I almost actually said something then that would have been a giveaway, a spoiler for <gasps> the game. Rob, you've got to be more careful. I've got to be more you've careful. You've dropped your guard. I have. I've taken my visor off. All right, here we go with climate change. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Rob. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.